Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. Thank you for your prayers and support for our work. It is greatly needed and is most helpful to the cause of God. I hope and pray that our monthly messages encourage you in your walk with God. We are nearing the end time, and we need Jesus more than ever. I pray that you are drawing closer to Him every day. I'd like to begin today with the following scripture. It's from Matthew 3, 7 through 12. This is about John the Baptist and what he said to the wicked generation of his time. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Friends, John was giving us a warning not only to the people of his own day, but to all of us. The Paradise Fire is a literal warning to those who refuse to acknowledge God and who continue their lives without regard to His commandments and His instructions. And while all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and though He is merciful and gracious and long-suffering with all His subjects, He still allows the enemy to use the elements to destroy that which man has built up. Unfortunately, the innocent also suffer with the unrighteous. But God speaks to us through disasters and destruction. Let me say as we begin this message that it is very graphic, so use your discretion, particularly with young children. Let me read a scripture. It's found in Deuteronomy 32, verses 20 through 24. Listen to these very powerful words. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. I wonder if many of the people of this world are froward, which means to be perverse and brazenly corrupt. How many people ignore the claims of God on their lives and just live as sinfully as if they were in the beautiful valley of Sodom? They brazenly defy the God of heaven. His judgments mean nothing to them. Even many of God's own people rebel and have no fear of his wrath. The leaders of God's people continue to lead them in ways that God has forbidden. They preach smooth things to them. They do not warn them of their danger. The warnings of God to our rebellious hearts must be taken seriously, dear friends. 
We need to see that the signs of the times are warning us of the wrath of God to come. Similar to the firestorm that consumed Sodom, the unexpected fire in Paradise, California, is a modern admonition to all of us. And while we don't know the spiritual condition of those that lost their lives in the fire last November, the power of nature under stress reminds us of God's warning that one day the judgments of God will fall on all those that have turned from God and His truth. The Paradise Fire, the Woolsey Fire in Los Angeles County, plus the Car Fire and the Santa Rosa Fire earlier last year are multiple warnings from God about what to expect in the future. This is a sign of the time, as my friends. These fires are the destruction that wasteth at noonday, predicted in Psalm 91, verse 6. I'll read on from Deuteronomy. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. Are people today living as if there is no God? Or have they put their affections on earthly things and replaced God with them? Do they think there is no day of reckoning? Do they pursue only evil continually as it was in the days of Noah? Friends, even so-called Christians are engaged in things that are not helpful to them spiritually. Yet they go to church every Sunday or Sabbath and sing hymns and say elegant prayers and carry their Bibles, but their hearts are disobedient to the explicit commands of God. They excuse themselves as if they have a right to disregard His commandments because of their circumstances, our modern culture, or just because they can't help themselves. Maybe they say they're born that way. Reading on, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Do you think this scripture is a warning? Paradise was in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and God is saying here that he will light a fire and destroy the earth and the wicked with it. Moses goes on, I will heap mischiefs upon them, I will spend mine arrows upon them, they shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. These verses graphically depict how God will have to deal with those who turn from his mercies and go after strange gods. God will not be silent forever. He will one day rise up and consume the wicked. But we don't like to hear about the day of judgment. We don't like to hear that God will punish. We only want to hear smooth things. And most pastors in almost every church obligingly do what is expected of them. They're trained in the seminaries that it is too controversial to preach the warnings of God's word against sin. They are taught that they are not to frighten the people by explaining the punishment of the wicked. They have mostly, with a few notable exceptions, become dumb dogs that will not bark, teaching only about the cross, love, and unity. Do I sound like I'm being critical of church leaders? Brothers and sisters, it is not I, but God who says these things. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 56 verse 10 says that his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. God's messenger to the remnant takes it even further. Testimonies to the Church, page 337, says that men and women are in the last hours of probation, and yet are careless and stupid, and ministers have no power to arouse them. They are asleep themselves, sleeping preachers preaching to a sleeping people. 
Does this describe the conditions of today? While not all pastors are dumb dogs, how often people have said to me how they wish that they could hear the plain, cutting truths for this time. Listen to this from the first volume of the Testimonies for the Church, page 321. In this fearful time, just before Christ is to come the second time, God's faithful preachers will have to bear a still more pointed testimony than was borne by John the Baptist. A responsible, important work is before them, and those who speak smooth things God will not acknowledge as his shepherds. A fearful woe is upon them. What does a still more pointed testimony mean? That's pretty serious, my friends. I don't want to be like one of those dumb dogs that will not bark. So I hope your ears and heart are open as we study. And may I say to the pastors that are listening to this message, please let God inspire you to take up the warning message, if you haven't done so already, and fearlessly preach the message in love that the people need to hear. Don't be afraid to use the spirit of prophecy in the pulpit in conjunction with the Bible. Don't ignore any of the messages that God has sent in spite of what it might cost you. Now listen to this interesting statement from the pen of God's messenger to the remnant. It is found in Last Day Events, page 111. The Lord gives warnings to the inhabitants of the earth, as in the Chicago fire and the fires in Melbourne, London, and the city of New York. That's manuscript 127, 1897. Apparently, this was not the first time there have been fires in populated areas. This was written over 120 years ago, but no one living today would remember those fires. There have been many wildfires since then, but not very many of them are as serious as the one in Paradise, California on November 8, 2018. In 1864, so the story goes, at the end of a hot and dusty day of travel, a settler climbed up the side of the foothills of northern California's Sierra Nevada mountains. As the oak land gave way to pine, he took a deep breath of the cool mountain air and said, This is paradise. Paradise, California was a sleepy little town of 27,000 people. In 1979, it was incorporated the quiet community was nestled on a wide ridge with deep canyons on either side. Chico is 12 miles to the west and Oroville, 25 miles to the south, and Sacramento, which is also to the south, about 90 miles. On Thursday morning, November 8, 2018, parents had already dropped their small children off at Paradise Elementary School. Seniors were eating scrambled eggs and taking their prescription pills at assisted living facilities. The five town council members had already driven to their offices, normal tasks on what seemed a normal day. But a long spell of hot, dry air had been drying out the soil, brush, and pine trees for months, even years. And now the pine trees were explosive. The usual rains for this time of year had not materialized. And so fire danger in this pine-studded terrain was especially acute on this beautiful remote community. Only two paved roads snake in and out of town. But Paradise had everything including motels, name brand, grocery and hardware stores, hobby and craft shops run by retirees, fast food joints like Taco Bell and plenty of gas stations. There was a small Seventh-day Adventist hospital and about 20 churches of various denominations as well. 
People from the nearby unincorporated towns of Magalia and Kankau would come to Paradise to shop and do other business. Paradise was the place to be for elderly retirees. It was cooler than the Sacramento Valley in the summer, and not as much snow as you'd get in the Sierra Nevadas whenever snow would come in these drought-ridden hills, and a lot of them had lived there for a very long time. But younger families had moved into Paradise, too, because of its affordability. Everyone knew that a blaze could come to Paradise, but nobody expected it would be now. After all, there have been so many hot, dry seasons without any fires in Paradise that it just didn't seem likely. But the conditions on November 8, which included years of drought, many extremely flammable pine trees, very low humidity, tinder-dry underbrush with plenty of fuel, deep canyons, and a hot, dry wind created the deadly perfect storm that everyone feared but never wanted to talk about. The residents of the town did everything they always do on that fateful morning, with no idea that within the blink of an eye their lives would change dramatically and that their quiet little town would be destroyed within a few hours. For some, their earthly probation would close. About 6.30 a.m. near Camp Creek Road, a fire sparked from what is now thought to be a fault in the PG&E Electrical Company's grid. The sky turned yellow first, which was alarming, but residents in Paradise were used to smoke. Northern California had been on fire all summer in various other places. In fact, at the same time as the Paradise Fire, there were 14 other fires burning. There had been other devastating fires. In July, darkness had cloaked the sun for days as the car fire roared in and around Redding, about 85 miles away to the northwest. The campfire struck with a ferocity that even shocked wildfire experts. It burned so hot that cars melted and houses exploded into flames. It was the most destructive blaze in California history, toppling all previous records. The raging inferno fanned by high, dry winds with gusts up to 72 miles an hour, throwing flames hundreds of feet in the air, raced into paradise and overtook the entire town in minutes, it seemed, leaving few buildings unscathed. The fire moved so fast, faster than any emergency officials grasped, faster than evacuation orders could be acted on, consuming entire neighborhoods before people could flee. The wind blew the flames from house to house, sometimes even skipping the trees in between. The entire town council was suddenly homeless, and so was half of the police and fire force. The place is a ghost town, and its reservoir has even dried up. Everywhere you look, it was on fire. There was fire everywhere. My brother called me and said, Get out now. The town's burning, Pastor Tom Bolin of the Providence Alliance Church recalls. He and his wife barely had time to gather their family pets and leave. We grabbed what we could, he said, and fled. This event was the worst-case scenario, Butte County Sheriff Corey Honia said at a press conference in Chico. It is the event we feared for a long time. The Butte County Sheriff's Office issued a red alert to 23,682 contacts over email, text, and phone call. 
As the campfire roared into paradise, the California Highway Patrol reversed the inbound lanes on Skyway Road and Highway 32. Officials had planned for this, 11 evacuation zones and more alerts. But the campfire moved faster than humans can, burning nearly an acre per second. That's 80 100-yard football fields per minute. Chaos and panic ensued. Cell service cut out in much of the town as fire rained down upon it. Headlights barely pierced the midnight smoke. Residents sheltered in the Walgreens and Kmart parking lots, waiting for county buses to rescue them. Some drivers abandoned their cars in the gridlock of traffic, running down Skyway Road or pushing their loved ones in wheelchairs down the sidewalk. Bulldozers pushed aside cars abandoned by terrified residents who then fled on foot so emergency crews could get through. At the Feather River Hospital, patients waited to be safely evacuated. They clustered around the helipad as flames rapidly licked closer and closer. Doctors and nurses set up buckets as temporary bathrooms because the building's water was cut off. In the hospital parking lot, probation officers and sheriff's deputies waited with vans until the roads cleared and they could evacuate the patients. At least one patient died there waiting, said Butte County Supervisor Doug Teeter. The devastating fire was so hot and so ferocious that the firefighters could not effectively fight against it. They had to resort to rescuing people, and that's about all they could do. Their biggest fire hoses were like little dribbles of water compared to the size of the fire. They couldn't save anything. They could only retreat as the fire raced toward them. Friends, this is the kind of thing that describes what to expect in the last days when God's wrath will be poured out on the much bigger and more wicked cities than Paradise, California. Dean Strait is a friend of mine. Before the fire, he was a surgical nurse at the Feather River Adventist Hospital that fateful morning when the firestorm ripped through Paradise. His harrowing account of escaping the intense, relentless fire is nothing short of astonishing. Here is his edited story. First, I need to take you back to my days in Southern California as a surgical intensive care nurse. One of the assignments while working in that position was floating to the burn unit. Caring for burn victims is one of the most mentally painful jobs I've done as a nurse. The sights, sounds, and agony of the patients is beyond description. You never forget. I'll come back to that thought. I arrived at work a little before 7 a.m. on Thursday morning, November 8. I parked my Honda in front of the quality department where my office is located on the outskirts of our campus in a small building on the rim of the canyon. The North Fork of the Feather River runs through the bottom of the canyon, hence the name Feather River Hospital. I had a beautiful view of the tall ponderosa pines and oak trees just below my window. The hospital is located about 400 feet to the west of my building, where I share the office with about seven others. I gathered my computer and headed for the day's first meeting at 7 a.m. over in the main hospital. On my walk to the hospital, I noticed pine needles all over the road, the result of the previous night's high winds. I also noticed that at that moment it was very calm, no wind to speak of. I had just witnessed two ominous signs and didn't know it. While in the meeting, I checked 
my email and noticed that the daily early morning humidity checks for the operating room were low, in fact below the 20% mark, meaning that a fire could be easily sparked in that low humidity. This meant that the outside humidity was also very low. The low humidity was another clue I had overlooked. At around 8 a.m., I walked up to the main lobby and noticed to the south a plume of smoke arising about a thousand feet away from the edge of the hospital campus. An associate came up next to me and we started discussing how amazingly close this smoke was to us. Then I walked into the cafeteria. People were gathering at the windows looking at the smoke, which was now glowing orange, concerned that they thought they saw flames. I walked down the hall. The command center was being activated. I decided to run back to my office. Several of my colleagues were outside asking what the plan was as the fire was moving toward us rapidly. I think they're planning on evacuating, I said. I gathered a few items from my office and drove back to the hospital and parked near the generators. I ran down the hall to the surgical unit grabbed a gurney with another person who was struggling with it and pushed through the emergency department and out into the ambulance bay. Since there were no ambulances, we directed staff to pull their cars around and begin loading cars with the ambulatory patients. The difficult question was how to transport the non-ambulatory patients that had to be lying down. We put one fresh knee replacement stretched across the back seat of a Subaru wagon, I connected with him later the next day, and he described for me his harrowing ride and how he ended up on the floor of the car two times as the driver had to stop abruptly to avoid the fire. We also put patients in police cars. Someone pulled up in an excursion SUV. I pulled the back seat out and discarded it to make room for a patient on oxygen. Finally, two ambulances pulled up, and we loaded the critically ill. One of those ambulances later caught fire. In less than an hour, we had successfully evacuated all of our approximately 70 patients out of the hospital. The time was now 9 a.m. This was no ordinary fire that marches along, advancing like an enemy upon an enemy position, giving the opposing force time to retreat. The fire started in the middle fork of the Feather River. The wind blew the fire over the hills that separate the two forks and into the town of Paradise. It exploded like a bomb or a grenade. The wind blew embers that must have ignited hundreds of fires simultaneously on all sides of the hospital for several miles in each direction and deep into the town. About 8.30, these hundreds of fires became a massive firestorm with walls of fire on both sides of the two paved roads leading out of the town. Many different routes were taken because the roads were becoming impassable and vehicles were having to turn around and retreat. Some of our patients' vehicles made it to the Kmart in town, and fire trucks sprayed them down to keep them from burning for many hours until the firestorm had subsided, and late in the evening they were finally escorted out of paradise. From about 8.30 a.m., the cars bearing patients now had to drive through miles of fire on either side. The last cars we sent out of the emergency department parking lot were forced eventually to retreat back to the hospital as the roads became blocked with burning vehicles and downed poles. The patients were later airlifted to other hospitals. When the last patient was loaded and driving away from the ambulance bay, someone said the obvious, all right, that's it, let's go. 
At 9.01, my colleague pulled out and was immediately stuck in the gridlock on a side road leading out to the main road. I got out of my car and ran to the corner where a police car was trying to direct traffic and asked which way do we go, and he responded that he didn't know and that both directions were gridlocked. I ran back to my car and drove to the back of the line and looked around me. I watched as all the shrubs and grass in the planters ignited on fire all around my car. I looked back toward my office, and it was still standing, but all the area around it was ablaze. Then I remembered my days working on the burn unit. Big mistake. I began to panic. The fire was now all around me, and I was going to burn. I put my car in reverse and backed up into the parking lot. I decided to abandon my car and start running. I love to run, so I'm thinking I'll run down the road until I get out of the town only a couple of miles south. This plan might have actually worked, because three other staff members actually did run down another road when their cars either caught on fire or the road became blocked and they abandoned them. They all survived. I grabbed my computer and opened the door of a random car, and it was someone I knew. I asked him to take it with him as I was planning to run. He implored me to join him, but my panicked mind said I didn't want to die in a car. So I went to the road and looked at the inferno gauntlet I was about to enter. But then the southbound lane from the hospital started to move. I abandoned the running man plan and ran back to the parking lot, jumped into my car, and headed into the traffic. It was now about 9.30. I called my wife, but she did not answer. I called my daughter, just as I was about halfway between the hospital and the first intersection. I told her I loved her and that I was probably going to die in a massive firestorm and to tell mother I loved her and to take care of her. The car now started to heat up, and it was so intense. It felt like I was standing in a campfire, not next to one, and this was with my air conditioner on full blast. The cars were creeping along agonizingly slow. At the first intersection, I decided to go straight ahead, and that probably saved my life. Soon after I passed that particular intersection, I was later told that it was blocked off and that personnel directed traffic in towards the town, which became a death trap. Several of our hospital staff were injured and barely survived that route. I know other people who died there. A few days later, I was escorted on that road, and I saw firsthand the very disturbing aftermath. Those who went this way had the most harrowing stories of the ordeal. All of them had to return or were picked up and returned to the hospital. I continued on for another mile or two through the raging fire as we inched along. Homes were completely engulfed on all sides. It seemed like every single house was a Roman candle. The explosions were sounding off all around the entire time. I guessed that the explosions were propane tanks. The traffic was so slow, but we were moving, and that meant we might make it. Around 10 a.m., I finally broke out of the firewall, and it was over. Just smoke now. Surprisingly, my car was not melted, and I had just a slight cough from all the smoke. It took me another 50 minutes to drive around to Chico. Epilogue. I cried when I got to hug some of my friends that I last saw in the ambulance bay. It feels so good to heal. Some of the hospital buildings caught fire and were damaged, but the main facility, Adventist Health Feather River Hospital, was one of the rare buildings that was not destroyed. Here's another testimony. 
Teeter, who waited at the hospital to be evacuated along with other residents, could barely think. Shortly before, he had watched a bulldozer push aside a line of cars abandoned by terrified residents, who then fled on foot. The bulldozer needed to open the road for more evacuees. The power was off in the hospital, and there was so much smoke, Teeter said. No one wanted to be there. We had 75-year-old people shoved three across in the back of probation vans. Hospital workers were bringing out snacks and triaging people. I didn't know my own family's fate. It was very somber. A mile away on Rockford Lane, Teeter's house, the one his grandfather built, went up in flames. Residents described fleeing their homes and then getting stuck in gridlocked roads as flames approached, sparking ex explosions and toppling utility poles. Things started exploding, said resident Gina Oviedo. People started getting out of their vehicles and running. Many abandoned their cars on the side of the road, fleeing on foot. Cars and trucks, some with trailers attached, were left on the roadside as evacuees ran for their lives said Bass, the police officer. They were abandoned because traffic was so bad, backed up for hours. Thick gray smoke and ash filled the sky above Paradise and could be seen from miles away. It was absolutely dark, said resident Mike Malloy, who said he made a split-second decision based on the wind to leave Thursday morning, packing only the minimum and joining a sea of other vehicles. Concerned friends and family posted frantic messages on Twitter and other sites saying that they were looking for loved ones, particularly seniors who lived at retirement homes or alone. Chico police officer John Barker and his partner evacuated several seniors from an apartment complex. Most of them were immobile with walkers or spouses that were bedridden, so we were trying to get traditional units to come and try and help us, just taking as many as we could, he said describing the community as having a lot of elderly, a lot of immobile people, some low income with no vehicles. Some residents were later found dead in the woods where they fell, trying to outrun the flames. Everyone in paradise knows each other. And that made it both better and worse. There was comfort in recognition and fear in understanding. Butte County Sheriff Honia, 47, was helping direct traffic near Skyway and Elliott Roads with his 26-year-old daughter, Cassidy, who had joined the Paradise Police Force six months ago. A call crackled over his radio. Some of his deputies were trapped. "'I'm going to go. People are trapped,' he told his daughter, wanting to say so much more. "'Would he see her again?' he wondered. "'I love you, kiddo.' "'I love you too, daddy-o,' she said." Soon after, the wife of town council member Zucalillo pulled into the intersection where her husband was helping direct traffic. His three small children were sobbing in the back seat. What do I do? she pled. Keep going downhill, Zucalillo said. Get out. Her taillights flashed as she crested the road and vanished, leaving Zucalillo behind. The estimates of the devastation are massive. They started out small, only several hundred homes, maybe a thousand. No, more than 6,000. The people of Paradise knew it was going to be worse with each new report. They saw their town burn, but the total fire consumption of homes is almost 14,000, plus more than 1,500 other buildings and businesses. This is really a wipeout, Zucalillo said. I can't describe it in any other way. 
I don't know how to quantify it. How do you quantify everything being gone? Restaurants are gone. We have lost half of our grocery stores. Where will people eat? Where will people get gas? How do you live in a place like this? As he left for the last time, dodging downed power lines and trees on Skyway Road, he saw paradise for one last time. Building after building, every structure was on fire. But the town lost more than its buildings. It lost people, 85 of them. The campfire was the deadliest fire in California history and the second deadliest fire in U.S. history. The Cloquet Fire in Minnesota killed 450 in 1918. But Paradise has sustained other human losses than those that died that day. Many of its residents turned escapees will never come back, which means that the town has lost its essence, too. On Johnny Appleseed Day, the Paradise Ridge Chamber of Commerce baked 1,000 pies, and on Gold Nugget Days, they celebrated the discovery of a 54-pound gold nugget, the largest in California's gold rush history, with costumes. How everyone is friendly and knows each other, and in that way, that seems cliched, but it is actually true. It isn't paradise anymore, and probably never will be. What's worse... Losing everything or owning one of the few homes that survived and moving back to a place where virtually nothing exists. Local leaders keep coming back to that question. 95% of the town is gone, said town council member Michael Zuccolillo. The remaining 5% of buildings are barely standing. I felt like I was living in a bad dream. It was unrecognizable. I had to keep asking, where are we? All the landmarks are gone. Block by block, nothing. Anybody who had a house in paradise probably doesn't anymore. The horrific fires that roared through one of the most beautiful regions of California with breakneck speed and devastating ferocity in November of 2018 have spoken in a powerful way to me. Most people don't think about the prophetic implications of the havoc and devastation as more than 153,000 acres were destroyed by the spectacular fire. But it is both a powerful warning and a symbol of the impending destruction coming upon this wicked world. We truly live in perilous times. Listen to this powerful statement from Christ's Object Lessons, page 179. God will cleanse the earth from all its moral corruption, not by a sea of water as in Noah's day, but by a sea of fire that cannot be quenched by any human devising. Also from the same page we read the following, The time is near when he will say, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood, and shall no more cover her slain. Isaiah 26, 20 and 21. But listen to this warning. It's from Manuscript Releases, Volume 1, page 307. We are now to seek God most earnestly. I have been instructed by the Lord that calamities of every description will come upon the world. The end of all things is at hand, and the very things that have been presented to me will take place. Satan is powerful in carrying out his plans. Some are awaking to the realization of what will be in the future. 
The calamity that stormed through paradise was quick, relentless, and devastating. Impossible to quench, even with planes dropping water or fire retardant, could hardly affect the inferno. It roared overhead like a jet engine. Paradise was transformed into a hell on earth. Hell in all its fury has visited the people of paradise. Ferocious fire holds a great terror. Its power, its speed, its roar, its relentless destruction. Its capricious shifts in course, its want of mercy, all point to the fact that nature can cause enormous loss. Think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 91. If you're under the protection of Jehovah, you will experience his power to save you from an inferno such as the paradise fire. Listen to the promises in verse 5 through 8. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, or for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold, and see the reward of the wicked. My friends, the violent fire was a terror to all who were caught in it. The wind blew the embers like arrows ahead of the fire to start new fires. In other words, the fire was moving so fast that it could not be outrun. And lastly, it brought great destruction throughout the day and destroyed almost everything in its path. What a lesson! What happened in the Paradise Fires described in the book Maranatha, page 37. Fires will break out unexpectedly and no human effort will be able to quench them. The palaces of earth will be swept away in the fury of the flames. Perhaps we would not classify all those homes as palaces, though many of them were no doubt quite beautiful. But compared to the way most of the population of the world actually lives, they would certainly qualify. The following warning from God's last day messenger is also pertinent. It is from Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 356 and 357. There will soon be a sudden change in God's dealings. The world in its perversity is being visited by casualties, by floods, storms, fires, earthquakes, famines, wars, and bloodshed. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, yet he will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Oh, that men might understand the patience and long-suffering of God! He is putting under restraint his own attributes— his omnipotent power is under the control of omnipotence. Oh, that men would understand that God refuses to be wearied out with the world's perversity and still holds out hope of forgiveness even to the most undeserving. But his forbearance will not always continue. Who is prepared for the sudden change that will take place in God's dealing with sinful men? Who will be prepared to escape the punishment that will certainly fall upon transgressors? Eighty-five people died in the flames of paradise. Imagine the terror of trying to escape the fire or the desperate agony of those overtaken by the flames when they suddenly realized that they had no hope of escape, that the fire had overtaken them and that they would be burned alive. What shock and horror! What agony, my friends! This is the terror that the wicked will feel under the wrath of God. This is a solemn warning to all of us that God will not always strive with man. The day of God is coming when millions will experience the same overwhelming fear and terror. 
We hear now of earthquakes in diverse places, wrote God's messenger in Testimonies to Ministers, page 444, of fires, of tempests, of disasters by sea and land, of pestilence and famine. What weight do these signs have upon you? This is only the beginning of what shall be. The description of the day of God is given through John the Revelator. The cry of the terror-stricken myriads has fallen upon the ear of John. The great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The apostle himself was awed and overwhelmed. The fire in paradise and its surrounding towns are only a small token, my friends, of what it will be in the day of the Lord. Desire of Ages, page 636, says, Everything in the world is in agitation. The signs of the times are ominous. Coming events cast their shadows before. The Spirit of God is withdrawing from the earth, and calamity follows calamity by sea and by land. There are tempests, earthquakes, fires, floods, murders of every grade. Who can read the future? Where is security? There is assurance in nothing that is human or earthly. Psalm 29, verse 7 says, The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of the fire. And while the raging and unquenchable fires warn us of God's judgments, His protection of His faithful souls reminds us that if we are faithful to do His will, He will preserve. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Psalm 91, verse 8. Though the fires burned all around them, God's hand can overshadow His people and get them through the flames. Here is a wonderful promise to those who are in Christ. Isaiah 43, verse 2 says, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Here is another statement from Manuscript Release, number 127, 1897. The Lord had given evidence that by His power He could in one short hour dissolve the whole frame of nature. He can turn things upside down and destroy the things that man has built up in His most firm and substantial manner. In fires, in floods, in earthquakes, in the fury of the great deep, in calamities by sea and land, the warning is given that God's Spirit will not always strive with men. And from Signs of the Times, December 15, 1881, we read, In every age God's judgments have been visited upon the earth because men transgressed His law. What, then, have we to expect as we behold the wickedness which prevails at the present day? An ungrateful people, forgetful of God's care, his long forbearance, and his unnumbered blessings are showing contempt for his holy law. Many of the acknowledged leaders in the church and in the nation break and teach others to break that law, as sacred to God as his own throne and name. It is time for the Lord himself to assert his authority in the earth, and he is doing this by fires, floods, and by tempests. He removes his protecting providential care and visits his judgments upon the children of men. Manuscript Releases, Volume 18, page 57 and 58 says, Everything has been moving on just as the Lord has revealed in prophecy that it would. Something great and decisive is soon to take place, else no flesh would be saved. The character of God will not be compromised. Under the wrath of God... Universal desolation will soon reach all parts of the known world. There have been lightnings and earthquakes, fires and floods, calamities by sea and by land. But who reads these warnings? What impression is made upon the world? What change in their attitude is seen? 
no more than was seen in the inhabitants of the Noachic world. The people are just as ardent today in their games, in the horse racing, in their love of amusement, as were the antediluvians who knew not until the flood came and took them all away. They had heaven-sent warnings, but refused to listen. By their attitude they declared, We want not thy way, O God, we want our own way, our own will. My friends, Jeremiah 4, 4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. This is an important appeal to us, brothers and sisters. We're living in the last days when all around us is only evil continually, much like in the days of Noah. The fire in paradise is a reminder that we are living on borrowed time and that the mercy of God will not linger forever. Don't you want your life to be hid in Christ when his wrath is poured out without mercy upon a rebellious and unrepentant world? Don't you want to be free of your sins so that you can walk with Christ in the new earth? The world is in rebellion. Listen to this statement from Manuscript Releases, Volume 3, page 315. The times in which we live are times of great depravity and crime of every degree. Why? Because men whom God has blessed and favored have reduced his holy law to a dead letter, making void the law of God by the traditions and inventions of the man of sin. A more than common contempt is put upon the commandments of God, while the representative men of the colonies have exalted the first day of the week to be observed by all men. They would have men bow down and worship it, as did Nebuchadnezzar when he exalted the golden image on the plains of Dura. When wickedness comes to this pass, it is fast reaching its height. Well may the prayer go forth from the people of God calling for his interference. It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Do you think we are coming close to the time when the whole world will have made the law of God void? From the same volume 3, of Manuscript Releases, page 305, we read, Let us turn our attention away from unimportant things and give ourselves to God. We scarcely dream of the destroying angels that already are permitted to bring disaster and destruction in their path. The fires are a warning that the end is near, my friends. We don't know whether the angels of God or the angels of Satan were the ones responsible for the dangerous conditions and the fire in paradise. The book Great Controversy 614 indicates that it could have been either. The same destructive power exercised by holy angels when God commands will be exercised by evil angels when he permits. There are forces now ready and only waiting the divine permission to spread desolation everywhere. Either way, my friends, I'm thankful that God is the one in control. If it was the enemy, we can be assured that God allowed him to do it because he can do nothing unless permitted by divine permission. Man may think that he can explain away the fires as if it was merely a random act of nature. But keep in mind, Satan works through the elements also to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature, and he uses all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. When he was suffered to afflict Job, how quickly flocks and herds, servants, houses, children were swept away, one trouble succeeding another as in a moment. It is God that shields his creatures and hedges them in from the power of the destroyer. 
But the Christian world have shown contempt for the law of Jehovah, and the Lord will do just what he has declared he would. He will withdraw his blessings from the earth and remove his protecting care from those who are rebelling against his law and teaching and forcing others to do the same. Satan has control of all whom God does not especially guard. He will favor and prosper some in order to further his own designs, and he will bring trouble upon others and lead men to believe that it is God who is afflicting them. That's Great Controversy, page 589. Now is the time, my friends, to prepare. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. You have no time to lose. You cannot play fast and loose with your life if you want to get ready for the coming crisis and to meet Jesus in the clouds of glory. If you're not the kind of Christian that you know Jesus wants you to be, get on your knees and pray earnestly that God will open your eyes and show you how to overcome your sins and live in Christ. Whatever you do, don't neglect your salvation. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you have shown us what is at stake. Our eternal salvation is threatened when we are not living with Jesus in our hearts. Lord, I pray that those who hear this message will yield their all to Jesus Christ and open their hearts to his presence. Please, Lord, fill them with your power and your love for lost souls, and may they be overcomers in the power of Jesus living in them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you've just heard is entitled, He Hideth My Soul, played by Henry Higgins. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Day by Day. If you would like to have a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we'll send you one. Please mention the Day by Day CD. Our Australian listeners can order through our Victoria office at 03-5963-7011. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, China takes down nearly 10,000 social media accounts. China's top cyber authority has scrubbed 9,800 social media accounts of independent news providers deemed to have posted sensational, vulgar, or politically harmful content on the Internet, it said late on Monday of November 12. China's strict online censorship rules have tightened in recent years with new legislation to restrict media outlets, surveillance measures for media sites, and rolling campaigns to remove content deemed unacceptable. The Cyberspace Administration of China, or the CAC, said in a statement that the campaign launched on October 20 had erased the accounts for violations that included spreading politically harmful information, maliciously falsifying Chinese Communist Party history, slandering heroes, and defaming the nation's image. The CAC also summoned social media giants, including Tencent, WeChat, and China-owned Weibo, warning them against failing to prevent uncivilized growth and all kinds of chaos among independent media on their platforms. The chaos among self media accounts has seriously trampled on the dignity of the law and damaged the interests of the masses, CAC said. The term self-media is mostly used on Chinese social media to describe independent news accounts that produce original content but are not officially registered with the authorities. Such accounts have proliferated in recent years and range from hard-hitting investigative journalism to celebrity gossip or lewd content. Many are highly popular due to offering more and novels and sensational news than official sources. Online commentators noted that some of the accounts closed had been sharing false or pornographic content, both of which are illegal in China, but also lamented that some of the accounts targeted in this latest sweep appeared to have merely been too critical. One Weibo user questioned why an art and entertainment blog called Yu Guang was blocked. The one I really don't get is Yu Guang, who made no sign of violations and wrote emotive content in a well-behaved manner. Why were they still blocked? The Weibo user wrote. You get blocked if you write the truth. You get blocked if you write lies. So what are we now supposed to say? NGOCN, a group that produced popular articles about social issues in China, also had two accounts deleted, but pledged in a statement to continue producing content. 
This is an era of accounts being obliterated, the group said. It went from a single article being blocked to the censorship of some prohibited speech. And then today, all of a sudden, we have no account. China's social media purge will prevent freedom of speech, which has always been under pressure there. Today it is political speech. Tomorrow it will be religious speech. All of it is necessary to prevent God's people from giving the full message of the three angels, at least with social media. God will have other ways to get the message out. Will China be a model for Western nations? The message is given by the voice. Notice the mighty cry of the fourth angel of Revelation 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Revelation 18, 1 and 2. Next, dramatic increase in witches and Wiccans in the U.S. A report in the Christian Post contends that the number of witches and Wiccans has dramatically increased since the 1990s, to a degree that there may be at least 1.5 million witches in the United States, which is higher than the 1.4 million mainline Presbyterians. The practice of witchcraft has grown significantly in recent decades. Those who identify as witches has risen concurrently with the rise of the witch aesthetic, reported the Christian Post in October citing data from Quartz, a Trinity College study, and the Pew Research Center. Between 1990 and 2008, the number of Wiccans in the United States grew from 8,000 to 340,000, according to three religious surveys conducted by Trinity College in Connecticut. In addition, the Pew Research Center reported in 2014 that 0.4% of the population, 1 to 1.5 million Americans, identify as Wicca or Pagan. It makes sense that witchcraft and the occult would rise as society becomes increasingly postmodern, author Julie Royce, formerly of Moody Radio, told the Christian Post. The rejection of Christianity has left a void that people as inherently spiritual beings will seek to fill. Royce added that witchcraft is especially attractive to millennials because it has been effectively repackaged. No longer is witchcraft and paganism satanic and demonic, said Royce. It's a pre-Christian tradition that promotes free thought and understanding of earth and nature. Author and Christian radio host Carmen Fowler-Leberg of My Faith Radio, referencing the court's data tweeted last month, as mainline Protestantism continues its devolution, the U.S. witch population is rising astronomically. There may now be more Americans who identify as practicing witches, 1.5 million, than there are members of mainline Presbyterianism, or the PCUSA. The Christian Post also cited 2017 data from MarketWatch showing that the psychic services industry grew 2% between 2011 and 2016, making it now a $2 billion industry in the United States. Not surprisingly, the Los Angeles Times ran a commentary on May 23, 2017, in which writer Diana Wagman described how she had joined with thousands of witches, believers, and people like me all over the world to cast a binding spell on President Donald Trump under the waning crescent moon in April last year. 
It was not meant to physically hurt him, only to keep him from succeeding at his tasks, explained Wagman. I found a large candle in a box of multicolored ones we use for our Hanukkah menorah. I printed the required tarot card off the internet and propped it up. I cut an unflattering photo of POTUS out of the newspaper, and I burned it while chanting the words of the spell. I plan to complete the ritual again. We are warned that spiritualism and the occult will increase substantially as we near the end of time and the close of probation. Many are investigating spiritualism simply from curiosity. They have no real faith in it and would start back horrified at the idea of becoming mediums, but they're venturing on forbidden and dangerous ground. When they're fast in the toils of the deceiver, they will find they are in the power of him who makes the most abject slaves of his servants, and nothing can deliver them but the power of God. The only safety for us is in trusting implicitly and following faithfully the instruction of the word of God. The Bible is the only chart that marks out the narrow path which shuns the pitfalls of destruction. That's This Day with God, page 247. Next, Celine Dion launches new gender-neutral line of clothing for children. Pop singer Celine Dion is launching a new line of children's clothing, and she announced the partnership with New 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 with a creepy Orwellian advertisement. In the commercial, Dion declares, Our children, they are not really our children, as we are all just links in a never-ending chain that is life. For us, she continues, they are everything, but in reality, we are only a fraction of their universe. We miss the past, they dream of tomorrow. Then, standing in a neonatal unit flanked by male and female symbolism, the Canadian recording artist says we may thrust them forward into the future, but the course will always be theirs to choose. While Dion is in the hospital, which she presumably broke into because security guards are trying to find her, the entertainer blows black glitter into the air, magically changing the baby's pink and blue outfits to black and white. Gender-neutral clothes. All of this happens as a child's lullaby plays faintly and eerily in the background. Dion explained during an interview with CNN that she was inspired to design a gender-neutral clothing line after taking her twin sons to Disney World. Rather than go straight for the superheroes, the singer recalled, her eight-year-old boys were interested in meeting the princesses and Minnie Mouse. And then I said, but what about Mickey, Dion said. They replied, oh, we like Mickey, but can we be... And I ended up saying to myself, you know what, it's okay. You know why it's okay? Because they're talking. They're finding themselves. Dion explained it's important for parents to let their children inform them about what they feel like. You don't know what they're going to become later, the 50-year-old celebrity said. You don't want for them to have a problem of growth and say, I'm supposed to be like that. I'm supposed to say that. I'm supposed to dress like that. Because I'm a guy. A, I'm a boy. or I'm supposed to do... No, no, you don't know. Let people be who they are as quick and as soon as possible. The new line, according to the description on the New 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 website, celebrates children from the traditional roles of boy and girl and enables younger people to grow on values of equality with the freedom to strengthen their own power of personality based on mutual respect. The gender-neutral clothes are available now for order. 
Celebrities of various types are being used to promote the gay transgender lifestyle. This will certainly have an effect on the thinking of young people who idolize Dion. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 28, and 30. Next, war over water. The Middle East is quietly heading towards the largest natural disaster in human history, and there's nothing it can do about it. In 2015, a report by the Organization of Islamic Cooperation quietly warned of a bleak, water-scarce future for the Middle East. It highlighted climate change, erratic weather, and the utter lack of water sustainability in the Middle East. Made all the more dangerous by high degrees of reliance on agriculture and low adaptive capacities. With only 2% of the Middle East covered by water and 94% vulnerable to climate change, its very future is at stake. Three years later, the situation has only become more bleak as water increasingly becomes a coveted and politicized resource. Over the last 20 years, there have already been six conflicts in the Middle East, claiming the lives of millions. Water shortages don't only start a conflict, but also make them worse. The Pacific Institute, which maintains a global conflict database, reports on 92 conflicts that took place over water in the Middle East since the 1960s. What is already the norm may move past a breaking point with drastic climate change already underway. One study predicts a 25% decrease in rainfall throughout the Middle East by the end of the century. Countries already struggling with instability, chronic water shortages, droughts, and insecurity will be the hardest hit. The Human Development Report forecasted a 50% decline in water availability in Syria, not by the end of the century, but in 2025. After Jordan's statement that it would not renew Israel's lease on Jordanian agricultural farmland, Israeli Agriculture Minister Yuri Ariel was quick to respond with the threat of cutting Jordan's water supply for days. For Israel, this is nothing new. Former Prime Minister Ariel Sharon noted that the Six-Day War began after the diversion of the Jordan River, recognizing the crippling effect of the drought. In a city with millions, food scarcity is likely to lead to crime and violence. But in the arid, sweltering Middle East, it could conceivably lead to outright war. Jordan is an outlier that is quickly becoming the norm, vulnerable to anything that happens upstream of the Jordan River. It relies mainly on underground aquifers, drawing 200% more water than is sustainable. Essentially, they are drying up their supply. And with the influx of refugees, urban population growth, and reserves running dry, Jordan is confronted with a near certain prospect of drought. Gulf countries already struggling with water scarcity have opted for costlier solutions, such as desalination, which separates sea salt from water. 70% of the world's desalination centers can be found in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia alone spends over $24 billion to increase its desalination capacity. But even desalination has its limitations. This energy-intensive approach isn't without its dangers and environmental impacts. Desalination produces chemical byproducts, high carbon dioxide emissions, which accelerate water scarcity. Warring for water is nothing new. Somalia is a tragic example of this. In 2004, Somalia was witness to the infamous War of the Well, lasting two years and killing 250 people. By the time it ended, Rabadore, the site of the conflict, was home to water warlords, water warriors, and water widows. 
Droughts kill more people than any other natural disaster. A Brookings Institute report found that in more than over 100 years, more than half of all natural disaster-related deaths were because of drought. During the Somali Civil War, the fighting quickly devolved into control over strategic water sources and hoarding of humanitarian supplies, leading to over 300,000 deaths. South Sudan suffered a similar tragedy, quickly impacting agriculture, giving rise to famine and severe nutritional deficiency. No longer exceptions and increasingly the norm, water insecurity and exhaustion are only expected to get worse. The International Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, forecasts that temperatures across the Middle East are set to rise by 1 to 2 degrees Celsius by 2030 and an additional 3 degrees Celsius by 2065. The world is already past the point of no return. Even the agreed-upon goals of the 2015 UN Climate Summit will not make a difference. The majority of the world's countries are still on the energy and emission-intensive path of development, with no sign of slowing down. On the other hand, just three top emitters produce more carbon dioxide than 100 other countries. The Max Planck Institute has warned of areas of the Middle East becoming uninhabitable for human life. They conclude that summer temperatures in the Middle East will increase at twice the normal global average. The temperate, mild regions of the Mediterranean are expected to reach 46 degrees Celsius by 2050. By 2100, extreme heat waves will occur 10 times more often than before, while extreme weather, like firestorms, dust clouds, and rapid evaporation, will become the norm. Even if the world somehow pulled together and tried to prevent climate change-related temperature rises, we're already too late to prevent its effects. In this new Middle East, nighttime temperatures will not fall below 30 degrees Celsius, and normal day temperatures will reach 50 degrees Celsius. Air conditioning is a short-term solution, as it will only increase energy consumption and carbon dioxide emissions. Over 3 billion people will call the Middle East and Africa home by 2050, water might replace oil as a strategic resource. Amidst such upheaval, today's exodus of refugees and persistent global conflict could become a pale shadow of the terrible human displacement to come. Whether you believe climate change is real or contrived, water shortages are substantial. War is likely. And there shall be wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, verse 6. Next, D.C. schools now offer third-gender option to enrollees. The district's public school system is slated to become among the first in the nation to let families select non-binary rather than male or female when indicating the gender of their child on enrollment forms. The option is scheduled to go into effect for the next school year, and school system leaders said it is part of a broader effort to ensure that transgender and non-binary students feel welcome in classrooms in the nation's capital. We value the whole child at D.C. public schools and have worked diligently to ensure our schools are safe and inclusive for all students, staff, and families, Interim Chancellor Amanda Alexander said in a statement. Whether through policies, programs, affinity groups, or our enrollment forms, D.C. public schools is proud to be a leader in affirming, supporting, and welcoming LGBTQ students. The change comes as the Trump administration has made efforts to limit the federal recognition of transgender people with the Education Department abandoning Obama-era guidelines 
that directed public schools to accommodate transgender students. In the fall, the Oregon Department of Education unveiled school enrollment forms that allowed families to select X if their children do not identify as male or female. In Minneapolis, the public schools have a way for families to let administrators and teachers know if children do not identify as male or female. Students can also inform the school system if they go by a name other than their given name. Non-binary is a term used for people who do not consider their gender identities strictly male or female and can include transgender people. The D.C. enrollment forms will allow teachers to know which students in their classrooms identify as non-binary without families having to inform them. School officials said collecting data on how many students identify as non-binary will ensure that the school system has enough resources available for those students, including access to gender-neutral bathrooms and extracurricular activities. Joel Baum, Senior Director of Professional Development for Gender Spectrum, an advocacy organization focused on gender inclusivity, particularly in schools, said that school systems throughout the country have been discussing ways to include in their databases students who do not identify as male or female. He said some jurisdictions face logistical hurdles when attempting to add a third gender option to enrollment forms because their computer systems can categorize students only as male or female. The change in the district's enrollment forms sends an important message to all families, not just those with non-binary children, said Baum. It's an opportunity without being arrogant or obnoxious to show that we support the gender diversity of all our kids, Baum said. Every family is going to interface with it, and that communicates something pretty significant. In 2017, the district introduced gender-neutral driver's licenses, which allowed residents to choose among male and female and X as their gender. The treatment of transgender children in schools has been a contentious political issue in recent years. Transgender students throughout the country have sued local governments for denying access to the bathroom of the gender with which they identify. There's been an enormous sea change in how many kids identify this way, said Eliza Bayard, executive director of GLSEN, an LGBT advocacy organization that works on education issues. This is one of those seemingly small changes that makes an enormous difference. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's Luke 17, verses 28 and 30. Next, Canberra going all in for gender diversity. Walking same-sex couple signals were installed in green pedestrian lights in a suburb of Australia's capital city earlier this month as part of a city initiative to recognize the diversity of the community, the Canberra Times reported. Malcolm Snow, chief executive officer of the City Renewal Authority, said eight green pedestrian lights were installed as part of a project to renew Braddon, a northern suburb in Canberra. This first location was selected because Braddon has distinctively been the place of celebration for Canberra's LGBTIQ community, Snow said referencing Australia's decision last year to legalize same-sex marriage. A year ago, we saw this area filled with people, color, and joy after the country voted overwhelmingly in favor of marriage equality, Snow said. Snow said the lights, manufacturing, and installation cost about $5,500, but predicted other diverse silhouettes 
plan for the future would cost less. He said the city decided to continue renewing Braddon after it installed a rainbow roundabout last year. The city renewal precinct is now looking for other sites to upgrade pedestrian lights. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's Luke 17, 28, and 30. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.